Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through, and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant, free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or walmart.com. Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. One of my favorite parts of this podcast is birth stories, and I know that you love birth stories too. So I hope that you enjoy this special rebroadcast episode of my birth stories, where I talk about the births of my two girls. I focus a lot on the birth of our first daughter. She was born eight weeks early. She had a rare intestinal malformation, had to have surgery three days after birth. She spent a month in the NICU. I also had a C-section for her and did not have adequate anesthesia. So I share all of that in the episode today. And don't worry, everything turned out fine. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN who's been in practice for nearly 15 years. I've had the privilege of helping over 1,000 babies into this world, and I'm here to help you be calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. 
Well, hello there. As always, I am glad to have you here today. On today's episode of the podcast, I am going to open all the way up and share my two birth stories. Fair warning, there is some trauma and a little bit of regret involved in my birth story. So if that may bother you, you can sit this episode out. But I will say that even with the not so good aspects of my birth stories, I am grateful for what I've been able to learn from the experiences and how they have made me a better OBGYN. And I think you'll be able to learn something too. And there's some good in the stories as well, of course. Now, I believe women learn from hearing the stories of other women. So birth stories will definitely be a regular part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. And at the end of the episode, I will tell you how you can be a guest on the show and share your birth stories. Now, before I get into the episode, if you've been listening to past episodes, you know that I sponsored a giveaway of three spots in my online childbirth education class, the birth preparation course. I did this as a way to celebrate the launch of the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. Well, by the time this episode is released on Tuesday, January 28th, 2019, the contest will have ended and three lucky women will have a free spot in the course. Now, those winners will have been contacted by email by the time this episode is available. The birth preparation course is already very well-priced for everything you get. You get eight hours of content that covers everything from getting in the right mindset for your birth, to the details of labor, to how to make your birth wishes, to what happens in the postpartum period, and so much more. Everything is online, so you can go through the course on your own time and at your own pace with your partner if you want to. There's also a private community just for course members, and that community is run by an experienced doula. In the course community, you can get support from other pregnant women, and I am in the course community as well doing regular Q&A sessions. And of course, you get lifetime access to the course. So buy the birth preparation course once, and you have it along with any future updates for all of your pregnancies. If you can't tell, I am super proud of what I created in the birth preparation course. All of this information will be in the show notes. Okay, so it is time to get to the show. So I'm going to start off by talking about my first birth story with my oldest daughter. Now, before I get into it, I have to tell you a little bit about the backdrop of my pregnancy. So this was a little bit of a challenging pregnancy for me. I was very anxious. To, we'll just be honest. I was very, very anxious. Um, it took us about six months to get pregnant. And I know that that is not a long time in the grand scheme of things. But for a type A planner and patient person like me, like I can be sometimes, it felt like forever. And then in the very beginning of my pregnancy, I had an episode where I bled through my underwear, 
through my clothes. It was quite a bit of bleeding and that was very frightening, of course. And it happened at a time when my husband Falcon, yes, his name is Falcon, like the bird. Falcon was out of town and it just, it really freaked me out as you can understand. So that happened. And then again, I was just anxious in general. I used to try and ultrasound myself to make sure things were okay. And and that kind of thing. The anxiety never helped, but it was hard for me to kind of get past it. Now, I finally got to a point where I felt like I was doing okay with the anxiety. I wasn't nearly as anxious as I had been, and I was going in for a follow-up ultrasound because at my 20-week ultrasound, you know, where they look at everything and make sure all the anatomy and everything looks okay, I had a little bit of extra fluid And they wanted to do a repeat ultrasound just to make sure the fluid was okay. Well, at that repeat ultrasound, and I was pretty calm for once. Well, at that ultrasound, uh, she was diagnosed, my baby was diagnosed with having a condition called duodenal atresia. It's a rare condition that occurs in something like one in 10,000 pregnancies. And it's when the first part of the intestines are not connected to the latter part of the intestines. So babies normally swallow amniotic fluid. So all of the fluid was just kind of sitting in her stomach and the extra fluid was backing up. So I had extra amniotic fluid. And this condition requires surgery after birth. It's also to kind of reconnect the the intestines. It's also associated with some chromosome abnormalities. So I had that additional worry that maybe she was going to have some chromosome issues. I ended up having an amniocentesis and everything was fine with the chromosomes. And we met with the pediatric surgeon and he reassured us that this was a pretty easy problem to fix after birth. Babies most of the time are born full term and they get through it just fine. So that helped to kind of reduce the anxiety. But again, I was still a bit anxious. Expecting parents who are looking for great nursery decor, this message is for you. As you prepare for the beautiful journey ahead, let Home Threads be your partner in creating a serene nest for your growing family. At homethreads.com, explore a collection designed for comfort and style during this special time. From cozy nursery essentials to soothing rocking chairs, Home Threads has everything to create the perfect home for your little one and always at the best value. If you like unique items, then you definitely need to check out Home Threads. We got a silver picture frame from Home Threads that is absolutely beautiful. It's one of those timeless classic items that will last for years to come and it fits in any space in your home. Be sure to visit homethreads.com forward slash Dr. Nicole today and receive a code for 15% off your first order. Home Threads, love where you live. So let's get into the birth story now that you have that kind of background of the pregnancy. So it was a Friday and a pretty typical Friday. At the time I was pregnant with my first daughter, I was doing a fellowship, a research fellowship, and um, I was taking classes and sometimes seeing patients. And on this particular Friday, I must not have had to be in clinic or um, 
see patients because I was at home. So I started having contractions in the middle or late part of the morning. And I had been having contractions before, so I was familiar with contractions, but they had never been terribly painful, nor were they terribly regular. Well, this particular Friday morning, the contractions were both painful and they were getting pretty regular. So I told Falcon, I said, you know what? I feel like something's going on and we need to go to the hospital and see what's what. Now his response, and (laughs) I'm laughing because he is such a magnificent husband and so completely supportive, but he was like, okay, are you sure? Because he just knew how anxious I had been during the pregnancy. So he wanted to be sure that like something was really going on. And I was like, yeah, I know I've been anxious, but these contractions are really pretty strong. And I feel like we should go in to get checked out. So we get in the car and as we're riding to the hospital, Falcon later tells me that he saw me clutching the door handle really hard and kind of like shaking during the contractions. I'm not like a loud person when it comes to pain. I'm more of a quiet person. So when he saw me clutching the door handle and shaking, he knew that something was going on. So we get to the hospital and pull up to the entrance and pulled up to the valet entrance and Falcon let them valet park our car. (laughs) Anyone who knows him, he is a car person and he never lets anybody drive his car. So that tells you how serious he was and how he wanted to make sure we got things seen as quick as possible because he let somebody valet park the car. So anyway, the car gets parked and we get checked into triage. Now, triage is the area where you see pregnant women where they're having issues. And I had my baby at Duke University Medical Center. That is where I did my residency training program. So I was familiar with the place. I went back to Duke because it was where it was comfortable for me. I was still in town because I was doing my research fellowship just up the street at UNC, but I went back to Duke for my prenatal care. So we got checked into triage and triage is like the triage at Duke, at least at the time, it's like a hallway and there's three or four rooms on one side and then two or three rooms on the other. And they have those glass doors like you see in the emergency room. So I got put into a room that was in the middle of the hallway and I was seen by a midwife. At that time, the midwives ran the triage unit. They may still now, I'm not sure. So I was seen by a midwife. She wasn't one who I knew because she wasn't there at the time that I was there. But anyway, she saw me, got me checked in. She checked me out and my cervix was one centimeter dilated, very effaced, and I was contracting every three to four minutes. Now, this was not good, and I didn't mention this. This is the important part. At the time, I was only 32 weeks pregnant. I was 32 weeks exactly that day. So 32 weeks, contracting every three to four minutes, my cervix is one centimeter and very effaced. 
So at that point, I got kicked up to the attending physician. I was being seen by the maternal fetal medicine doctors at Duke, not necessarily because I was terribly high risk. Maternal fetal medicine doctors are typically reserved for high risk pregnancies, but that's who I knew. I knew them and that's who I felt comfortable with. So the MFM, that's short for maternal fetal medicine, doctor came in. We went next door to the room that had an ultrasound. It was at the end of the hallway. And it was still during the day, so the ultrasound technician was around. So did the ultrasound, and I just remember her saying, oh, you have no cervix. Like, there's no cervix there. And what that means is that my cervix was very very short, like it had no length to it. Cervical length, your cervix is normally long, like more than two and a half centimeters is um, reassuring that you're not going to go into labor. So when you measure the length and it's less than two and a half centimeters, which mine was, it had no length to it at all. That's a risk factor for preterm labor. And I also heard had something called funneling where you could see the lower part of my uterus kind of bulging out and coming down to a funnel at the at the top of the cervix, also a risk factor for preterm labor. So I knew exactly what that meant. And um, I was getting pretty anxious, um, even more anxious. And, and not only just anxious, but I just felt like twilight zone-ish. Like, what is going on? Why is this happening? Why are we here? Kind of thing. So the high-risk pregnancy doctor at that point suggested something called amnioreduction, which is removing extra amniotic fluid. Because of the duodenal atresia, I had extra amniotic fluid around my baby, and sometimes extra amniotic fluid can cause you to have contractions because it makes your uterus bigger. So she thought maybe if we take off some extra fluid, then that will help decrease the contraction. I said, okay, that's fine. I guess that's reasonable to try. So what they do is they stick a needle in your belly through your uterus. I know that sounds terrible, but it's actually not that painful and drained off some of the fluid. So they drained off about a liter of fluid and that did not help one bit at all. I still continue to have contractions, regular, um, uncomfortable contractions. So I was admitted to the hospital. And then the next suggestion was to get an epidural because sometimes an epidural can help slow down contractions. So I got an epidural. It was done by one of the residents, someone who I knew and trusted, but I was very suspicious that the epidural wasn't working great because I felt like I had a lot of motion in my legs. For those of you who have either had an epidural or when you get an epidural, your legs feel pretty dense and numb. And I just wasn't feeling that. And I felt like I had a lot of um, sensation. This is going to come into play a little bit later. Um, But yeah, I just kind of felt like the epidural wasn't working great. But the contractions were manageable, so I didn't really make much of it and think that we needed to do anything about it. So I continue to hang out during the day, having contractions, and then my water broke. 
And it was the typical like giant gush of fluid. I had extra fluid anyway, so it was like fluid other everywhere. It was obvious that my water broke. And after that, fairly quickly, I progressed to being eight centimeters dilated. Well, once I got to eight centimeters, then her heart rate, my baby's heart rate started having decelerations or drops in the heart heartbeat. So the normal heartbeat is between 120 and 150 beats per minute or so. And I could hear it on the monitor. So a normal heart rate kind of sounds like do, 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 do. And I could hear on the monitor, um, her heartbeat was going do, 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 so it was going down slowly and coming back up slowly with contractions and it was getting progressively worse. So the attending physician, and I'll say now, even though I went to Duke because I knew the the staff there, the attending who was on was actually somebody who I didn't know because he had started after I had left Duke. Um, anyway, he was a very nice guy, but that sort of added to the anxiety of it all that this was someone who I didn't know. Well, he suggested that, okay, you're eight centimeters, you're 32 weeks, baby is smaller, so let's go ahead and have you try and push. So before I could push, we had to get moved to the back to the operating room because that's where the resuscitation equipment was for preterm babies. So preterm babies all delivered in the back in the OR. So we got moved to the OR and I remember pushing and I remember giving it everything I had to try and push, but she just wasn't coming fast enough. I don't know if I wasn't pushing the right way. I don't know, but the decision was made to proceed with C-section because the heart rate kept dropping and she wasn't coming quickly enough. At that point, I remember there was just lots of activity around me. People moving, me getting put on the bed, um, my arms stretched out to the side, getting strapped down for the C-section, just a lot of activity going on in the really bright lights of the OR room. Two of my favorite nurses were there and I remember leaning over and I whispered, ask Keisha to scrub. Keisha is one of my very dearest and best friends. She's actually going to be a guest on the podcast coming up. She is a high risk pregnancy doctor. We did residency training together. So Keisha was there because when I went into labor, she came to the hospital and stayed at the hospital. She wasn't like in my room or like personally involved in my care because she wanted to give me space, but she stayed around and she kept a close eye on things to make sure that things were going okay. Um, I will forever be grateful for her for doing that because it made me feel very comforted to know that someone who I knew and trusted was there and kind of watching over me. So I leaned over and I said, ask Keisha to scrub. 
and she came in and I was all prepped and ready for the C-section. Now, before you have a C-section, we do something called um, an Alice clamp test to make sure the anesthesia is working properly. And an Alice clamp is an instrument that has very sharp teeth. And we pinch the woman's skin to see if she feels that pinch. If she doesn't feel the pinch, then her anesthesia is working well. If she does feel the pinch, then her anesthesia is not working well. Well, let me tell you, they did the Alice clamp test and I felt it pinch. I felt it distinctly pinch. And that's where we come back to that, that notion that I knew that my epidural earlier probably wasn't working great. So I knew exactly what that meant. I'm an OBGYN that I could feel the clamp from the Alice clamp. Falcon says that at the time I just kept saying, wait, 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 wait. I don't remember that, but he said that that's just what I kept saying over and over. Just wait, 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 wait. But her heart rate had been dropping. So they really wanted her to be born. So they went ahead with the C-section and I felt it when they cut. I just clutched Falcon's hand so, so tight and moaned and moaned and moaned. Now it doesn't take that long to get a baby delivered, especially since it was my first C-section. So it was probably a minute, um, maybe a little bit more than a minute, but I felt it. I definitely felt it. But then after that, my sweet, sweet, sweet Bookaboo, that's my nickname for her, was born shortly after 8 p.m. Now, I knew that they would take her to another room because the resuscitation equipment was in another room, but I felt that I had to see her. I had to lay my eyes on her. So when she came out, I demanded, show me my baby. You know, I have to see her. I have to see her. So they held her up over the OR drape. When you're in a C-section, you have this blue drape in between you and the surgeon. So I asked them to hold her up over the drape and they held her up. And this picture will forever be ingrained in my memory. She looked like a little monster to me. She had her face all scowled up. She had her hands up and they were like claws. And she was like, I'm here and I am ready and I am coming for you. Like that's just how this look she had on her face. And it just gave me a great deal of comfort to see that she came out looking like a fighter, like she was vigorous. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favor to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. 
and that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the all about pregnancy and birth community. Now back to the show. Now, one of the reasons she was vigorous was because I had had steroids, um, betamethasone. Betamethasone is a medication that we give. It's an injection, two shots separated 24 hours apart to help mature a baby's lungs. And I had had steroids a week before she was born. Now, usually we give steroids when we have a suspicion that someone's going to deliver early. I had been having contractions and my doctor the week before had just said, "Mm, you know what, I think you should get steroids just in case, just to be on the safe side. So I had gotten the steroids, not knowing, of course, that I was going to deliver a week early, I'm sorry, a week later. And um, a week is the optimal benefit for steroids. So I was very fortunate in that regard. So that was part of the reason that she came out vigorous and actually never needed any assistance with breathing. So after she was born, they showed me to her, they took her to another room. And then after that, they gave me what I call happy drugs. Like I remember distinctly saying, you gave me some happy drugs because I started to feel very woozy. And the next thing I remember was being transferred from the OR table to the bed because the C-section was over and then being wheeled to the recovery room. Now in that meantime of me being transferred, the surgery finished and me getting into the recovery room, Falcon had gone to the NICU to see her and he had taken pictures. Now I am going to be honest, those first pictures of her, although that first image of her where she came out was reassuring, those first pictures of her did not reassure me that much. She just looked funny. Her head looked funny. It was big. It was shaped funny. Her ears looked funny. I was just like, oh my gosh, my my baby. Uh, And I'll put those pictures in the show notes on my website, ncrcoaching.com forward slash episode five. I'll put that in the show notes. You can see what she looked like when she was born. She's a very beautiful girl now, but I have to tell you, to be honest, those first pictures, I was like, oh, okay, I don't know. And she was just a skinny little thing, long little thing too. So I'm in the recovery room. Surgery was over. I'd at least seen her, seen pictures of her. And at this point, I'm going to be honest, I was so hungry. I had not eaten all day long. And at this point, it was well after eight o'clock. And my dear friend, Keisha, came through again, asked if she could bring me anything. And all I wanted at that moment was some Chick-fil-A. So she brought me 
a chicken strips combo. And all I ate was like one chicken strip and a few fries, but I swear to God, that was the best Chick-fil-A I have ever had in my entire life. Now, my hospital stay after that was uneventful. And ahead of us, we had the journey of having a baby in the NICU and one who required surgery. That is a story for another day. Now, I was really traumatized by the C-section and the inadequate anesthesia. To this day, I am very sensitive as an OBGYN if a woman isn't comfortable during a C-section. And I'm also very sensitive about showing moms their baby during a C-section. I just remember that overwhelming urge of just, I got to see my baby. I got to see my baby. I got to see my baby. And I don't want other women to feel that anxiety from that like I did. Okay. So let me move on to my second birth story. And this one is a lot shorter. This one is from my little lady buggy. So this pregnancy was a lot easier. By this time, my first daughter was a little over a year old and she was doing well. So we had gotten past the NICU stage. She was meeting her developmental milestones. She was growing. She was doing all the things. So I was just a lot less anxious. And so I really sailed through this pregnancy and didn't have any anxiety really at all. However, it came time to decide towards the end whether or not I should have a repeat C-section or I should have a trial of labor after C-section or try for a VBAC. And I ended up deciding on a repeat C-section. And the reason I decided on a repeat C-section was because it was more convenient for work. And I feel kind of embarrassed by that now. At the time, I was the associate program director for the residency training program at the institution where I was on the faculty. And I was going to deliver during the peak of interview season to interview candidates for the residency program. And I just felt like it would be a big inconvenience if I just waited to go into labor on my own. Like it would just inconvenience my colleagues so much. And that if I could plan it and plan the day, then it would just make it easier for everyone. And I regret doing that for that reason, having a repeat C-section for that reason. In the end, it didn't make a difference in terms of my career. And I know that in hindsight, that my colleagues would have been fine had I just gone into labor, they would have picked up and they would have been fine. But for some reason, I felt that pressure of not wanting to inconvenience anyone. And I don't know if that's just because I was young and new in my career. But again, I just kind of regret doing it for that reason. And in a way, I feel disappointed in myself that I didn't at least try to have a vaginal birth. So at any rate, I made the decision that I was going to have a repeat C-section and I was still traumatized by my first C-section and that came out by me trying to control everything about this second C-section. I only wanted my doctor to do it so much so that 
Normally, when you do a repeat C-section, you do it at 39 weeks, but she was going to be out of town at 39 weeks. So I actually agreed to have an amniocentesis done at 38 weeks to make sure her lungs were ready and I could be delivered at 38 weeks by my own doctor. Again, not something I'm super proud of or I would even recommend for sure for anybody these days, but that's what I did at the time. I also chose the specific anesthesiologist who I wanted to do my anesthesia for the procedure. Now, if there's one good thing about having a repeat C-section is that this C-section was entirely different. Like I was laying there thinking, oh, this is what a C-section is supposed to feel like. I felt tugging, but it was not at all painful. And in a way that was validating because it made me realize that I was not crazy for my first C-section, that I wasn't exaggerating things, that I really did experience my first C-section with inadequate anesthesia. So I would say from this birth story, the lesson that I learned that even trying with trying to control everything, I still ended up with some regret surrounding my birth and trying to control everything isn't a guarantee for anything. Now I cannot end without giving a special shout out to my husband, Falcon. He was so supportive during both of our pregnancies and births, and he is still a great husband and father 13 years into our journey together. So that is it for my birth stories. At the end, of course, I had two very beautiful girls, but again, very happy and grateful for what I learned from the experiences. And I hope you were able to learn something from them too. Now, I mentioned in the beginning that I want to share your birth stories as well. You can go to ncrcoaching.com forward slash birth story and submit your birth story. You can also get to that link from the podcast page on my website, ncrcoaching.com forward slash podcast. If you scroll down, you'll see the link to click on it and get taken to the submission form. Both of those links will be in the show notes. Now be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, I'd really appreciate you leaving an honest review in iTunes. It helps other women find my show. And don't forget about the discount on the birth preparation course. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the regular price of the course. I do not discount the birth preparation course often, so don't miss out. You have nothing to lose by buying now. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you're not happy with the course, you get a full refund within 30 days. Now, next week on the podcast, I am introducing expert interviews. First up is my dear friend who I mentioned in this episode, Dr. Keisha Reddick. Keisha is a maternal fetal medicine doctor and maternal fetal medicine doctors specialize in high risk pregnancies. So we're going to talk about what she does and what it means to have a high risk pregnancy. Until then, I wish you a healthy and happy pregnancy and birth.
Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.